so for me creativity has always encompassed art and writing um, from when I was very young and it's something that's brought me a lot of joy and comfort um, in the past and in the present as well but right now um, since I'm a PhD student my relationship with writing and art has changed it's become more academic uh, and so it's made me realize that there is a lot of differences between academic and other writing um, the way I look at art from an academic perspective versus the way I've looked at art in the past when I was younger, uh, the way I did art, like practiced art as uh, an artist. So while writing to an art earlier was something very simple and easy for me and something that I just did without thinking, now I find that sometimes I struggle with it. I, st I think a lot about how I want it to be presented um, and so I've realized that, that, that in my head, I have a clear division of um, who my audience is when I'm writing or talking about art. And so creativity comes into both academic and other kinds of writing. So in, I used to write many short stories and essays which were more free-flowing, not necessarily about art, but just in general. And they were very free-flowing in their verse. Um, and that's what I thought creativity meant. It's like if you gave me a prompt... I would just write and I would edit it but then it was very much just my thoughts as they were but in my time as especially as a PhD student um, I've started to edit my writing in a different way not that I am trying to uh, pretending to be someone else but I just realized that um, for academic writing to be creative it it has to be, it is obviously in a measured way. Academic writing is meant for a particular kind of audience and people think of it as boring, but it doesn't have to be. Um, it, I know it has a lot of jargon and terms that people might not be familiar with. If you ask me to read a science academic article, I don't usually make head or tail of it, but um, the writing can be creative even in academic um, writing. And so overall creativity writing it's about communication and um, communicating an idea, a theme, feelings. Um, and it could be to either someone you know, so that is whether it's academic or not, or it could be to a complete stranger. And so it's important to write in a way that connects to both these audiences um, and make sure that your writing is clear. And so I know now I've not, I'm not talking about art practice, I'm talking specifically about writing because and writing about art or writing about anything. Um, you need to make sure that what you're saying can be understood by someone who may not know where you come from. So it's important to state things clearly. Um, and if you think something is unclear, edit it, rewrite it. Because if you think it's unclear, it's likely to be unclear. So I think um, now for me at this moment, overall writing and creativity is about clear communication and presenting your idea in a way that's inspiring to other people, but also in a way that is very much grounded in a reality that if, if it's academic, then that you have researched well. And if it's non-academic, that you are comfortable and have not, have sat with for some time and, and feel, um, feel overall um, comfortable sharing. So...
Hey everyone, welcome to the Closet Writer Chronicles. I'm your host Sangeeta, aka the Moody Marshmallow. You just heard our guest for today, Anisha Palat. Anisha is a PhD scholar in history of art at the University of Edinburgh. Her research focuses on the image of the cow in contemporary Indian art and its intersections with caste and animal studies. She has presented her research at conferences and workshops around the world and convenes the Climate and Colonialism Reading Group at the Paul Mellon Centre in London. Before we move into the conversation, I want to give a quick shout out to Zencaster Podcasting Made Easy. So I've been podcasting for about two years now and I stumbled onto Zencaster while I was recording season two of the show. Though I only use the audio recording version, they have a video recording feature as well and you can now edit your episodes on the platform. If you're a podcaster looking for an all-in-one podcast workstation, then check out Zencaster. You'll find a special offer link in the description of this episode for which you'll get 30% off. Also, welcome back to season 3. I'm so happy to be back. Now, without further ado, let's tune in to hear about Anisha Palat's journey into the world of art and art history. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Closet Writer Chronicles. This week I have with me Anisha Palat. Hopefully I got that pronunciation right. Uh, If not, Anisha will very sweetly correct me. But welcome to the show, Anisha. It is so good to have you here. Thank you, Sangeeta. Um, And you did get the pronunciation right. Yeah, uh, Anisha and I had like a two-minute tutorial of how to pronounce her last name. <laughs> but uh, no, it is so good to have you here, Anisha. And I'm so excited to talk to you uh, about the work that you're doing. Uh, and, you know, especially about art and art history and art education. Um, but, you know, the first thing I want to really ask you is, what is your earliest memory of being creative? Right. Um, so that was a very good, uh, it's a very good question. And the earliest memory which I have is something from when I was three years old or maybe four. Um, and uh, so it, so I used to very religiously read Young World when it came out. I don't know if you remember. Young oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I used to... I used to be obsessed with it and I used to play all the word games in it and I used to really be fascinated with so I think um, children of my age at that time would send in artworks um, and they would be featured in Young World and I always wanted my artwork to be there so I remember I drew something once probably some mountain I don't know what it was and um, I drew it thinking so I, I, I looked at the newspaper and I was like I measured out the size that everyone's drawings were because I didn't realize that you could draw any size and the newspaper designers would edit it and put it there. So I, I like measured it and I made sure that it fit in that grid. And then I, I think I, I, I knew somebody who worked in for Young World, so I gave it to them and they were like, why have you made it so small? And I was like, oh, but everybody is that small in the painting. Oh um, yeah, so that that was my that's my first memory of like trying to do something creative and put it out uh, out in the open. But I actually I did end up getting featured in Young World when I was about eight years old. I wrote um, a piece on silence when I was in uh, Rishi Valley, which is a boarding school, and um, that actually that seemed to resonate with a lot of people I I personified silence I described it as following me around the valley and Rishi Valley is a 
very like uh, there's a lot of nature and it's it's essentially a valley and so the ways in which i interacted with silence and i i read it recently and i have to say i'm quite impressed that as an 8 year old i was able to think about silence so deeply um but yeah that so these are two early memories of you know creative art and creative writing i guess no but that's amazing that you were also able to kind of put yourself out there right at that age because usually you know kids are kind of like okay i'll write i'll draw but you don't necessarily like put yourself out there so public or your work out there so publicly in that sense uh, and uh, for listeners who may not be uh, aware young world was actually this supplementary paper that used to come with the hindu newspaper uh, I, i don't i think they stopped it i yeah, don't think I it's don't there think it's anymore. there anymore but i used to really yeah. like it and it was a great way to get um, i think kids to engage with the news i guess uh, easier than the full newspaper which even now overwhelms me <laughs> so yeah <laughs> no for sure like because when you talk about it it was so nostalgic for me because when i was thinking of like oh my god every weekend when that paper would come and i would like just take it and read it but yeah no but it's it's really cool that you had that confidence honestly to be able to do that it, no truly um, um i think that confidence <laughs> is, it disappeared after i grew up it was only there as a child so yeah <laughs> no no i i don't think so i think as we speak about the wonderful work you're doing i i think our audience will disagree on that and will say that you are a very confident person <laughs> um but but you know it's interesting that you chose um art as a subject of study and you're kind of pursuing that uh, professionally which is not necessarily i mean now okay increasingly you do see people going for more uh, creative options in terms of career yeah. career choices um but obviously i would imagine um while growing up what was it like for you in terms of taking up art uh, as a subject of study because that's not the most conventional choice at least i know for our generation um it's usually either engineering math all that uh, or like l- law medicine whatever right so f- how did you kind of come to the choice of studying art and now actually pursuing it as a profession um so i uh, always loved that as you as with the young world um incident i have i was drawing from when i was as i mean i don't remember a time when i wasn't engaging with some kind of i used to like i used to love doing all the biology drawings in school i used to love um you know a- anything that required some creativity i would always volunteer myself uh, whether it was like a drama thing or um, you know illustrating something i um, even um, handwriting i was obsessed with getting my handwriting perfect so i obviously i think i liked everything anything visual um and so in uh, so i went to rishi valley and then after that i was studying in chennai and i've always i was in um, i in icse and in the icse board uh, you can take art as a subject so in ninth standard i took art uh, as my i think they used to call it sixth subject or something like that and that's when i uh, really started you know doing it as a subject we we had to we had class every week or multiple times a week like you would have math and english and whatever and so you know i had to do various like still life or nature drawing or whatever and even before that though in especially in rishi valley we had an art department and we used to like we put in these groups where we would try different things like woodwork 
embroidery, something called nail and thread and um, batik and tie and dye. So I guess we were very much immersed. Uh, and because it's a boarding school, you like live there all the time. So on the weekends also, I would find myself going to the arts and crafts department. And I had quite, um, and ins- the teachers were quite inspiring and encouraging. And so I realized I, you know, I loved um, art. And so that's why I took it as my sixth subject. And then I also took it in 11th and 12th uh, as part of my more specialized subjects. But I never actually thought, I, I had thought that I would do economics. I used to also really like economics and math. And um, so, and usually every time I say I like math, people are surprised because I guess most <laughs> art people, like there's a clear divide somehow between art and math. And but I That's not math. true. Michael, Michelangelo was good at math. That's true. So was WG, I think. But yeah, I, I really enjoy math. I miss doing math. That's the one thing I really do miss doing. Um, and so I, but somehow I, I looked at, I don't know, I, I guess a lot of people applied to Stella Maris's visual arts program and it looked interesting and I applied and I got in and I was like okay I'm gonna do art for the next four years and that was my official like in my undergrad that was more art practice um, and design and we had a bunch of various courses on like different kinds of drawing which I won't get into but then the nice thing about this uh, the program at Stella was that we also had to learn art history and art theory and I'm saying nice I think most people hated it but I loved I loved that part and I realized that I loved learning about the history of art movements and where all these techniques came from and where the artists came from and I used to like I don't know I would do a lot of extra work in that more than the actual art part which I also enjoyed but somehow I was able to, um, like, I really found my element, I guess, in in writing about these various art movements and art theories and whatever. And so I decided then, then I realized that art history is a career that people take up. And um, so I decided, I actually ended up doing art business immediately after uh, my undergrad at Stella. And then I, but then I, art business is a little bit different. It's more the business side of things and uh, after working in that space for a while I realized I wanted to go uh, back to the writing in a more academic theoretical sense so I ended up switching back to art history and that's why my um, I pursued a PhD in art history and kind of moved away from the art business but yeah that's how I ended up here Um, it's not the most lucrative job option, but it is interesting and it definitely keeps me thinking um, and you know art also engages with many different other fields so it's uh, it's a nice way to kind of keep abreast of what's going on in the world yeah no but that that's really cool so then you know when you talk about because I'm curious about this because when you talk about like um art business what does that essentially entail I'm just curious to know about that uh yeah so I mean so I guess most of the most public facing art is art business in the sense that there are collectors and they buy certain artworks whether they are up-and-coming artists or whether they're well-established artists or you know older artists who have passed away um and so in those spaces the main players are of course the gallerists and uh, the people who own the galleries or own uh, or run institutions and the artists, of course, who make the work. And um, people interact with both in terms of 
collecting that art many people build their collections and so that's a whole business but the uh, art business also involves a lot of other things like logistics insurance finance um even art law um auctioneers curators there are forgers so it's like it's a whole very wide ranging art network and um yeah so like i have friends who work say in art logistics which is a whole very specific field on like how to pack and like a lot of the time the art has to travel country to country um mm. so it's it it needs specialized packaging specialized care the insurance then go so there are art insurers then um art law is like the restitution of objects which is currently in the news a lot so um lot of objects that were looted say by the nazis for example in world war 2 uh should they be restituted to their rightful owners so that's a, or like even um the parthenon marbles this case became famous because amal clooney george clooney's wife took it up and so the so it was greece was trying to get back the parthenon marbles which are in the british museum and there's i mean there's a debate as to whether it should be or shouldn't be and i won't get into that but there are um there are all of these big uh, you know the auctioneers themselves the people who who uh, finally uh, you know the hammer goes down uh, you you see these huge sales at christies or sotheby's and you see yeah so that's a job that people do and so there is this whole network and academics also do come into uh, the art business because they write about the art so the the and a lot of the time curators come from academic um backgrounds and uh, you know all the writing and the research and stuff m- might be and not necessarily you don't need a phd always to get into those kinds of jobs but it it does um i think if you have a phd i guess you specialize in a certain field and so um yeah i guess then people look at you for writing for that for that uh, uh period of time or artist or whatever it is so yeah there's so many different roles and opportunities actually when it's when it comes to art and visual art and visual culture and it's a growing field now so um it's quite it's quite exciting i think to to be in it yeah yeah no because i think when we talk about art also i don't think people necessarily understand that there are way more roles than you actually connect it with because usually i think people the association is okay there are artists there are gallerists there are collectors okay maybe auctioneers but you don't go beyond that in terms of what else, there is an actual business model and you know there is an actual like because you spoke about art law which you know it actually didn't even strike me when i was you know thinking about it that oh my god yeah there is a separate category exactly. for this <laughs> you know so but like you know what are the roles you think that people just don't i think think of them when it comes to because obviously you've mentioned a few yeah. um but what are some of the things people don't think of at all and the reason i'm asking this is because uh because i work in publishing and the minute i say i'm in publishing the immediate thing is oh you must be an editor or a writer right and yes. you know and I, yeah and the and then when i say i'm handling rights and business development they're like oh what is that <laughs> like what do you do there and they're like oh that's also a thing so you're also involved in finance and business <laughs> and i'm like guys there's more to this so exactly. i'm just curious like yeah, you know no, I, what is it in art yeah no i i think mainly people don't realize that like art logistics i think is a big one and insurance and the law like you said um 
I don't know how how familiar people are with curators. I mean, it's I guess again now people realize that someone curates because there has I mean there is the gallerist who usually is um, representing the artist to sell the work and the artist makes the work, but then someone has to put the whole thing together as well if there's an exhibition. So that is usually the curator's job. Um, I think uh, people don't. Yeah, I think those are the the main things that people. I mean, there are of course even smaller jobs um, like uh, you know people who have to um, guard the art, for example. Like you know, because some of this art is worth millions, billions even, and so art. Um, security that's a that's a big thing as well uh how do you secure and make sure uh you know this is uh, safe and then also uh, how forgery so there are forgers and then there are people who um can tell if it's a fake or not a fake and that's and that's a very uh important thing especially in these large sales because many of these artists um fakes of their works uh, are sold and you have to make sure that it's not a fake and you have to trace uh, something called the provenance which is uh, where it's you know it's first sale and like all its subsequent sales and so it's um yeah you there are lots of uh yeah lots of different aspects that go into yeah. the final thing that people see <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it's just fascinating to hear like what the different aspects are of the industry, right? In terms of like, there's actually way more to it than I think people just can perceive, yes. right? At one level, um, but having said that, I think coming to like your writing, uh, right? How did you, you know, get into writing, and you know, what has that been like for you, and how did you know that that was something you enjoy doing? Um, so, I guess the the main thing is that. again i always liked it somehow from when i was a child i don't know how i think my mom read to me a lot as a kid and then i used to consume a lot of books so i always enjoyed words and felt like words were a strong communicator and then i guess art also is a strong communicator as a visual and so that's how i ended up i think writing about art in particular um but uh yeah i think in again to go back to rishi valley since it seems to have had such an impact on me and i never realized to like and adisha is having a revelation of this episode not talking about it but again in rishi valley we were really kind of thrust into writing um we used to uh, write every week or yeah every week. we were read to a lot and then we wrote stories of our own poems a uh, lot of creative writing plays um and then we also had to write letters home every week um which was uh, very like i mean at that time i used to get irritated but now of course it's so nice to receive a letter and so you know i just had these different forms of writing that uh, and it just i think at some point it just became um part of my life i guess i became more comfortable with words and uh and i i used to also bring art into my writing so if i wrote a story i would illustrate it and so i think it just at some point became a very natural part of my life something that i it just became part of my everyday almost yeah no that's amazing i mean the fact that you were able to kind of stick with it also right and yeah. kind of choose to incorporate it professionally uh, in a way yes. um 
but yeah having said that uh, how would you kind of talk about say art writing versus art criticism like are they essentially the same thing or no i mean they they are quite different uh, and i'm not so i wouldn't call myself an art critic for example mm, i would okay. say i'm more an art historian hopefully um, but <laughs> I, i mean to the to a general public audience i think it would be very similar but there are actually even courses that specify that this is for art criticism this is for art history this is for art writing um i think art criticism and i mean i'm not speaking as an expert here so i'm not yeah, yeah. I, i feel like i shouldn't i i'll just tell you what i understand of it um it's more um you know i would say that like reviews uh and um reviews of exhibitions or you know those kinds of things fall under the category of art criticism whereas art historical writing maybe more research oriented and kind of archival like you go into say archives and you 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 know you draw things and you argue a certain thing but they do come to get because it, art historians also do write reviews and you know critique exhibitions or shows or artists works so there is an overlap um and there are you know some famous uh, art critics from in- the most famous art critic from india i guess is geeta kapoor who kind of revolutionized uh, the way we see indian modern and leading to contemporary art um and and as an art historian i use a lot of her work and her writing so i can't really separate the two i would say there's a lot of overlap and each uses the other's resources um the main difference i guess is that one is more drawing from history and kind of i mean not necessarily because i write about contemporary artists who are living so i definitely draw from history and then feed that into their work um art criticism is more yeah i i i i, I guess it's uh, just a bit more refined criticality in the in a sense yeah no because i i was just i was just curious do they like classify as the same thing because obviously even when it comes to writing about art or for art um there are again different aspects to this right like say criticism and of course art history um i think would curation also then be a different aspect to it or uh, i'm asking again because i've seen you curate a show for a friend uh almelo anamala going to give a shout out here uh, a soldier of hope i remember you curated that yeah. show if i remember correctly and there were obviously written pieces along with yeah. the artwork itself and it's almost like a storytelling experience with the pieces that are already there right? right so i'm just curious does that also then are there other forms like that then within yeah. art i mean i would say like curation uh, and curating i mean it depends on how the curator wants to present the artist and i guess also if you're involving the artist how the artist wants to present themselves and um so curating usually has like some display texts that go along with the work for explanation or like even how to navigate an exhibition um and with like say with exhibitions you usually you can have a catalog which has some writing and so that writing um needs to be in a in a way that can communicate to an audience that is more more on the collector side so because i most i mean very often you're having artists are having exhibitions to sell their work and so 
yeah, you have to be able to write in a way that uses some amount of academic jargon, but also is able to um, convince someone of a certain piece. And so I guess it kind of falls between the lines of how journalists might write, which is a more engaging um, way so that everybody can understand what's going on and like using academic jargon. This was... It's a constant struggle because um, I've been told often, especially when I started my PhD, that my writing was more leaning towards the journalistic side rather than a pure academic side. And that's something that I had to overcome. And like, so I am now very aware of the difference, but it's, you know, to someone it, like you only, you only come to it the more you write. Uh, in the beginning, honestly, it all, I guess, looks similar. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, because when you, it's interesting again when you pointed out that for journalistic writing and academic writing is very different. So, like from your perspective, what was the difference you found when you were doing both? Um, so, uh, definitely, academic writing requires the use of um, like certain words that are used in the field, terms, movements, etc., um, and also a lot more. Um, citations references theories and it's very uh, i mean it's analytical and critical uh, academic writing you need to be clear of what your position is as a writer um and what your argue what you're trying to argue in and con- convey to your reader and what you're saying whereas in a in a journalistic piece while you it is nice to have i guess an opinion so you have editorials etc but often and often you're just trying to convey fact and that this happened or this so i would say that's the main difference um also i i think um academic writing is very much more formal uh journalistic writing is formal in its own sense but it has i guess it there is a little bit more room depending on who you're writing for of course the newspaper or magazine or whatever but academic writing is very structured and usually uh, requires a certain like a kind of like an argumentative essay kind of thing so yeah hmm. okay so something i came across uh, in one of your articles that i read was where you spoke about uh, collaboration right. where you know just generally approaching a piece and writing about it is essentially a collaboration between you and the artist right um so you know since that is something you talk about and you say is a way to facilitate dialogue essentially how do you approach collaboration then when you're writing about an right. art piece so um I mean, uh, so in the uh, currently, what I've been writing about for the last four years is has to do with living artists who are quite young in their practice, who are still growing their practice. And so when I talk about, so the one thing I should say is that collaboration usually means that both parties get something from the collaborative process. And I know that I have received a lot from artists. I don't know if I have given them anything. So I that's what I have to say. But um, uh, essentially what I mean is that it really helps to go and speak to these artists and understand where they're coming from in what, and how they've come to what they're trying to portray. And many, like, especially if it's a politically sensitive topic or a, 
or or even if it's not a politically sensitive topic it's really helpful to understand their context and their background um if you get the chance to even like visit their studio or if they have a studio or whatever wherever they practice their art and see their process and their own thinking um because artists really do think a lot and if you start to talk to them you realize that their thought processes are very key to understanding their work so i mean while i can look at a piece of art without knowing who the artist is or anything about the artist and of course analyze it because art is also subjective and you know you can you're allowed to analyze it by yourself if you want to it is nice to have the artist's voice and your voice as an author come together um to convey So I'm not saying that you should like blindly listen to what they say if they say something and you ne- don't necessarily see that in their work or you disagree that's okay you you're allowed to be critical of it and you can say they said this and but I don't see it that way and but it's very I feel personally that um I have enjoyed talking to artists and that uh, that dialogue that's created between me and the artist has helped me understand their work and in my writing i've always found that the stronger pieces are the ones where i have a good working relationship with the artist where i can clarify things where i can go back to them um and so that's what i mean by conversation collaboration dialogue yeah are there any um experiences you can share in terms of collaborations you've really enjoyed and you feel like you know that was a piece you your extremely proud of and you're very happy to have worked on yeah um i would say uh, there's this artist uh, called kirtika ken who um so i write about her in my thesis and she is uh, she works in sydney she's grown up in sydney originally from india and um i came across her work in another magazine article and i felt that it was very relevant to my thesis so i reached out to her and she uh, was very forthcoming and really nice and we built a whole i would say friendship even at this point because we um really yeah we uh, i mean in the beginning i interviewed her more formally for my thesis but then i was able to revisit the interview revisit parts with her ask her to clarify things um and you know if if you become comfortable with one another like we did then you're able i think she was also able to share things because she trusted me i hope um and i trusted <laughs> her and um and so you, and so yeah she's one example there's another artist called sarjan mani again uh, he works in um germany at the moment he's from kerala and he and actually i've never met him so kirtika i've met um sarjan somehow i never managed to meet him unfortunately though i'm a big fan of his work and um he's a performance artist so it became in his case especially key to like listen to his experiences of both performing the art and where the where his ideas came from because i actually didn't have access there were no recordings of these performances so i didn't know so i was just listening to his account and then wherever it was performed if i managed to find some audience member or the gallerist who was able to share with me how the performance looked but that reliance on the lived experience of these artists then became very important to the shaping of my own ideas um especially because i was writing about caste 
and uh, mm. i obviously ca- uh, uh was not able to I, i don't know why i said obviously but i come from a position of privilege i think in terms of caste and so it was very important for me to um give space to the people i was writing about because it's their lived experiences that they are portraying through their visual artwork or performance or whatever it is and for me to just like say oh this is what it is is unfair um and like it i it's like especially in this case i felt like for me to understand caste and understand art uh in relation to caste to listen to their voices became really key and it shaped my own understanding of art as a whole of uh, caste through art and how visuals and art itself can be a form of pedagogy i guess um in terms of teaching people like me about things that we should be discussing but we don't somehow and so yeah it so that's how this whole collaborative process and space became really important yeah no I, and i like that you mentioned these two because i i did watch your interview with uh, kritika kane uh and i i loved how you spoke about i think there was one section in the q and a there where you spoke about how you guys were at an exhibition and everyone uh was seemingly from obviously an upper caste background and they were only talking about visually how the art was appealing and like they weren't going deeper into what the art actually meant and how a dialogue on that can actually promote that kind of conversation and understanding of the work exactly uh which i thought was really like interesting and fascinating and i i do relate to that uh in the sense that i think literature does the same thing right. uh, as well yeah um but yeah uh having said that the other thing you did mention and which i was again curious uh to ask or uh, to know about was uh, about personal histories and collective histories uh which is a term you keep using uh and uh i i don't know if i got this right from uh, what i heard at the interview but basically about how you were saying you were kind of using that as a source of interpretation obviously for the art um so then how do you kind of use these two things as tools or a lens to sort of analyze artwork right um how would you f- first of all explain personal history collective history and how do you kind of use it to make sense of the artwork so um so personal histories are very much linked to the artist's lived experiences so uh whether it is their own so in my, in the case of my thesis it was their experiences with caste and the cow which is what i write about um and how and so their own personal experiences or their uh, immediate family or friends um experiences which then become a personal history and personal narrative very much a first hand experience for the artist themselves collective histories um were more the larger uh, uh so for example in the case of kirtika she's very inspired by writers other dalit writers like um i think she likes suraj yangdeshi and ambedkar mm. of course um and she and so those are those are collect, why i'm calling them collective histories is because they're available to everybody um mm. whether you're uh, upper caste or not upper caste or wherever in the world you are whether you're indian non not indian those um those pieces of writing are available for you to pick up and understand and so they become part of a larger collective understanding of in this case of course caste collective histories can be about anything i i imagine so um when i and so 
in I try to combine and Kirtika is a great example for this personal and collective history combination because her experience of caste is in Sydney because she grew up in Sydney and so her experiences were more through her what her parents shared with her what her cousins might have shared with her and then her collective experiences of caste were through her conversations with other artists nowadays um, but at, when before she became like now she's relatively well known but before that um, she was reading a lot of literature and so that became this kind of safe space for her she felt and so yeah the so in bringing those two together I was able to understand that her artwork portrayed both the personal and the larger collective understanding though it's important to say that a collective understanding is not a homogenized experience. Everybody's experiences are different. Um, but there is, you know, there is this collective uh, literature, writing, speaking, whatever it is, available to everybody if you want to read it. And so um, it, the nice thing about bringing the personal and the collective together is that there is an individuality, but then there's also this idea that kind of speaks to everybody. Hmm. Interesting. So, you know, like, obviously, we briefly touched upon uh, your thesis, but I want to go into detail about that because I found it very fascinating when I was like researching about you. So your research topic is the cow, caste and contemporary art in India, aesthetic ecologies and social hierarchies in the 21st century. So can you tell us more about that? Because I think it's really fascinating that you're kind of even researching this as a subject, first of all. So, you know, like, how did you come across this and what drew you to this? And obviously, Obviously, what are you aiming to do with the study, basically? Yeah, so, sorry, the ti- I know the title is a, is a mouthful, but academic thesis dissertation titles are long, usually. Um, but essentially, I came to this topic because um, in about, I think, six years ago, seven years ago, someone asked me to write an article on, so there was an issue coming out about livestock in India, And so someone was like, hey, can you write this article about um, representations of cows in India? And it was very general. And when I started researching about it, I realized that despite the cow being such a prevalent animal and uh, featured in most of our daily lives in some way or the other, um, somehow the art part of the cow had not really been explored or written about. And so I thought, and so once I wrote that article, which was more an overview, um, I was trying to look for um, PhD programs. And uh, this was an idea that I thought could um, develop. And in the beginning, it was more general. Uh, I was just trying to understand what is missing, though I was always interested in the more modern and contemporary periods. But there is this whole history of the cow image that started in the late 19th century and then um, how the cow kind of became this image of religion and especially linked to Hinduism and how the cow is linked to caste because of that, um, because of uh, beef eating especially or leather, um, the making of leather and how uh, those professions or um, and the ostracization of of uh, Dalits or other communities who consume beef, it's all related to the cow. 
and so i decided that it would be nice to see how contemporary artists rep- if they do represent that how they represent that and so my thesis kind of explores this dif- these four different artists so kirtika and sajan who i mentioned are two of them and then i have an older artist called chandru and then um another artist uh, called siddesh gautam who is baker oh, yeah. prasad on Instagram. yes yeah. yeah so he's quite yeah. well known and so uh, i have these four very different cuz kirtika works with materials sajan is a performance artist siddesh is uh, more digital and um chandru who's older is more traditional in his like he does the ones i analyze are watercolor paintings and so i was my thinking was basically how do i um the the fact that the cow in india though we see it every day we um we engage with it in some form every day and then now there's a lot there's a lot of politics around the cow as well um my thinking was that at we never sort of acknowledge it as an animal whenever we think about it though it is so obviously an animal we um tend to make it more a symbol or an image and so there's this whole um, side to art history which is a growing field which is called eco critical art history and um so my idea was how do you bring this image and the animal together in a way that you acknowledge the cow for what for the fact that it's an animal and you also acknowledge the atrocities that happen in the name of the cow to these artists like what they're representing how do you bring those together to kind of disrupt um of systems of oppression like caste which have a, a very long history in india and so that's basically what i explore uh, in the thesis that's really interesting actually it reminds me of this um this book by yashaswini chandra called uh, the tale of the horse yeah uh, a history of india on horseback uh, which uh, like she again it's but there it's obviously in, in in your case it's the cow in her case she's talking about the horse and how it, that kind of relates to history um but yeah it's i think it's a really cool study what you're doing and who knows maybe someday you will publish it as a book maybe. i hope you do first first i have to get through the the thesis actually the dissert- yeah yashaswini is uh, now at the university of edinburgh so i know her um, quite well so um, oh wow that's amazing so <laughs> i mean if you want to pitch a book just go for it anisha yeah. <laughs> publishers if you're listening <laughs> <laughs> this is the book you should be looking at right i agree <laughs> yeah uh but no thank you so much uh, for sharing about that um it, it is a, a very fascinating study that you are doing and to kind of use art as a tool to sort of i think talk about larger things in society right yeah. uh, or just generally things that are going on which i think is cool because i think by the end of the day that is one of the things that art does it is essentially sort of observation or comment or making a statement essentially or a reflection of basically what's going on yes. in the world um so yeah thank you for sharing that uh, and the next thing what i do want to ask you is about art student thoughts right uh which is an art education platform which you started uh with varsha narayan who is also an art educator um so what inspired that and you know 
what's the idea of you know starting it and what are you hoping to achieve with art student thoughts um so when vash so vasha and i studied together um for our undergrad and then um she did a masters in art history um while i did art business and then now um i would say now she's more the art educator and i'm just trying to write and survive but anyway <laughs> uh, she so when we started art student thoughts um our thinking was that um there is not like people have like people get overwhelmed when you say like when you ask them to look at an artwork and they don't know where to start and so they just kind of run away from it and so we wanted to share how to look at art how to understand art that it's not scary and also just general information about art because nobody somehow the resources are limited or they're very academic so again it's difficult for a general audience to you know just understand what's going on and so we our idea was that let's try and like have these snippets which interest everybody um and you know and then we found that people are interested in knowing about art and we even we did an art walk uh in chennai and then we've also helped some schools with workshops and we designed a syllabus um and so you know uh, basically the idea was that let's educate people about art in a simple and fun way and uh you know we used to have a lot of quizzes on our instagram page for example which i think those were particularly popular because i guess people felt that they could answer and it didn't matter if it was right or wrong um yeah yeah i've taken those quizzes <laughs> yeah. so yeah i think that our in our aim was essentially this like let's spread this joy that we get from art to other people and show them that um art is for everyone and meant to be this like what you just said like it can be a tool for so, for understanding issues and also appreciating you know visually uh, or non visually just um material or uh, histories or color or so it can there's so many different ways to look at art and analyze it so yeah that was that was our idea yeah no and it's cool that you are doing that because like you said i feel like art can be fairly can seem fairly inaccessible to yeah. uh, the general population or to people who might be curious about it but are kind of scared to approach it because it's intimidating yeah. right yeah um so it's really nice to see that you guys are doing that I, another platform i am aware of and which i follow is art fervor which also kind of is in this space of uh, art education in india yeah um but having said that why do you think art education is significant today or why do you think it's important um so i guess it kind of uh, it takes from everything we've discussed so far that art has so much that it can convey it's a tool um that can be used to convey ideas and issues and it's also a way in which different people can learn different things so there are many different kinds of learners and while not everybody is necessarily a visual learner i think art has something for everybody you can you can understand you can read about the art and then go see it you can just look at it and say oh this is what i get from it um so in that sense if you're made to feel comfortable with art from a young age which is why art education starting at a young age is really important then you know you appreciate the world around you you appreciate 
nature you appreciate uh, colors you appreciate photography you uh, you appreciate creativity in general and um, i think all in all art makes you a better person i guess <laughs> <laughs> i like to think so at least but um, you know it's it, in india we don't have much of a museum culture Well, mm, yeah. uh, you know, we don't go to shows as much uh, art shows when we're young kids. Um, I'm hoping that will change because I have seen like, like in the UK, for example, sometimes you see really small kids at museums, and it's so cute because they look so fascinated, and you know they don't have that inhibition to say what they're thinking, um, and I can see that they're really enjoying it. I'm sure some of them are really bored. um but, you know it but they're still there and that so something is being imbibed you know and i think um there is a certain value to that and art doesn't necessarily have to be visual art i mean it can be music or performance or theater or literature or you know arts in general but having that like i think that it really makes you question things and not just accept things for what they are and that's some that's something that we should all do we shouldn't just say oh this is how the world is we should be questioning and that's how we grow and that's how collaborations work for example you ask questions you learn and so i think that's where the importance of i mean education in general of course and art helps in that because you know there's a lot of scope within it to be flexible and fluid So what are like I think resources you would recommend for people who are just curious about art and want to kind of explore and just educate themselves you know uh, what are some of those that you'd recommend Um so I would say that the first thing is go to the shows and museums in your city whether they're small or big go to archaeological sites and see things because that that experience that you have first hand that's the best way to learn about art and rather because reading about art like seeing a painting in a book um and then reading about it can be quite boring sometimes it can really bog you down so if you're just starting out i would recommend trying to get out there speaking and like if the artist is at the show speak to them understand where they're coming from why they've done the work and even if you feel shy um the artist is as shy as you i guarantee <laughs> and so just go and speak they'll be so happy that someone is taking interest in their work and actually asking them questions so that's the first way but then there are like um i mean obviously you can read about art uh, i would recommend john berger's ways of seeing it's a very easy read a great start he also has a, a tv show i mean he had a tv show which is i think available on youtube so it's very easy to um to go through and like he's very engaging in what he says there's gardner's art through the ages which is a more little bit more complex uh book uh but it is it's quite large it's it's expensive so it's a more like a coffee table book but it has beautiful pictures and gives a good overview of art through the ages essentially um and then i would recommend uh, going to like if you can't actually visit museums and stuff just going to different museum websites around the world some of them have some very interactive stuff like the moma uh, in new york it has a good art education section 
um so that's one google arts and culture is also really nice they actually have a chrome oh. um extension which i use so is you can set it that every day it'll like your chrome background will be a new painting and you oh, can wow. learn about it and that's a really nice way i've learned about a lot of really random pieces that i didn't know about or artists that i'd never heard of and so it's a nice way to cheer like like your desktop or laptop or whatever actually cheers up with this artwork every day and you can learn about it if you want or if you don't want to you'll just look at it and you might remember it which is nice um another way is that uh, is to watch like um shows there's a show which i haven't really watched much myself but my my mom loves it actually it's called fake of fortune so it oh okay it, uh it traces like it looks at artworks and whether they are fakes or fortune or they were the fortune and it you know it really goes through all of those different roles in art business that i had said mm. we go to these different experts and forgers and it's it's a really well made show and it's a great way to like it's very uh because it's quite dramatized it's a great way to like understand and be excited about art and another way is to watch live auctions if if you're interested in collecting art a great way would be to track auctions and watch them some of them are boring some big sales <laughs> can be interesting um and then um another like another way is to just engage with fictional accounts like for example the girl with the pearl earring uh which is a famous artwork by vermeer is um it's a book it's also a movie uh there's lust for life agony and ecstasy the gold finch picture of dorian gray they're all books and movies um and so that's a nice way because they are fictionalized but then you at least get curious about it or even like something like the da vinci code um i remember when i first read it it really piqued my curiosity about oh like artworks can have all these hidden meanings oh my god and so i was very fascinated by that so you know it it's it's a, it's good to like try all these different um different uh, things and then of course if you like Uh, and then if as you get more into it you can read more academic stuff but what i've recommended is not academic because i think that's a very particular kind of audience and um i think in general people find it difficult and maybe start i don't want people to hate art yeah <laughs> let's do the more fun stuff yeah and also like yeah. doing quizzes and stuff is a is a great way to you know i think uh, just grow your knowledge i guess So yeah on that note follow art student thoughts yeah, but we haven't been very active lately <laughs> well i mean this is a great start oh. <laughs> whenever this episode comes out arisha and varsha will be reviving yes, we we'll, we'll make sure quiz is out on the same day <laughs> yeah oh it sounds good <laughs> Oh, we're cross promoting now. Yes. That's great. Uh, but no, but no. Thank you so much for sharing those resources. Um, it, because I think it is important to kind of make it more accessible for people. Because you know, like I said, it, it just. I think that's one of the biggest things. Because um, like I mean, like I I can't say from an artistic perspective, but at least when I was also making the decision to kind of switch from a corporate career to like writing and to get into publishing, um. I know those were conversations that were 
not the most accessible to me yeah uh, and they were also very intimidating just in terms of like it it just seems so like beyond reach that you don't know and so it's nice to kind of have people you can talk to and have those conversations you can put out so others have access yeah. to them yeah. and those resources um so thank you for doing that and more power to you and varsha with what you're doing with <laughs> our student thoughts I'll, I'll uh, let honestly <laughs> i we're yeah. saying we should restart and we just don't so maybe this is the inspiration yeah like hey varsha arisha just uh, planned to start this without even informing you yeah. <laughs> oh my god but um yeah having said that you know coming to um i think more personally for you what are like who are the artists that kind of i guess inspired you and drew you towards you know actually learning about art and art history and kind of getting into this field because i know for like many people there are many things that can inspire you to kind of go into things like even for writing for example like i think for me story wise but also writing wise i think a writer i really enjoy is uh, louisa may alcott uh, little women because that's a story i always mention it on this podcast i think everyone's sick everyone who's who's who heard these episodes i think are sick of me talking about it's this book but book. it really does it is a great book so that is definitely a story that has like stuck with me um like since forever since i was a kid or even like a role doll or whatever right um so in that uh, way who are artists you'd say ha- that have really like inspired you and like kind of drawn you towards this field it's a tough question um because i guess it depends on i i, I guess it depends on what i'm looking at at the time i think any art that speaks to social times can be powerful not necessarily the most pleasing to look at but they really make you think um in in terms of like i guess before i really like now i do a very niche topic in like 21st century art and caste in the cowan so that's like a very specific set of artists who obviously because i've been engaging with their work so deeply now artists who i've mentioned like kirtika and sajan and chandru and siddesh are all the ones that i'm currently like very inspired by and look constantly looking at but in the past um when i was younger i and you know just getting into this whole art field i always had a soft spot for um and i think most people do uh for impressionist and post impressionist work like monet and they're very pleasing to the eye i guess and you just feel like i don't know there's something just really nice about them i also like modernists like matisse um so matisse was i think in the early 20th century and he I mean most people know him for his fauvist works which is a whole movement but I actually really like his paper like towards the end of his life he couldn't uh, physically stand and draw anymore so he started doing these paper cutouts which then eventually became stained glass windows and I was I've always really liked that and um I'm a big fan of drawings by Leonardo da Vinci I've always been I think the detail and uh technique in them is just amazing i also i mean in addition to just like these are pure artists in the sense of like fine artists but to expand the field a little bit i've always really liked illustrations in books like children's books like you mentioned roald dahl i always liked quentin blake's illustrations and i think that's why as a kid i used to always grab all of roald dahl's books because the illustrations made them so appealing um i also really like graphic novels like mouse or persepolis 
Um, I mean, those are, of course, well-known ones. And then, um, yeah, I mean, other there's an artist now called, uh, her name is Ritika Merchant. I think she's based in Barcelona. I find her work very, it's quite like mythological, whimsical, very like detail-oriented, um, very, I find it personally very pleasing. Um, and then, you know, I, I think, um, yeah, and I've also, like, you know, films like, like Studio Ghibli movies, the artwork yeah. of the Ghibli movie Love, has always yeah. been very inspiring. And I find that even now, that's something, that's my comfort viewing. I think like when I'm sick, I always watch a Studio Ghibli movies. So uh, I just find uh, find the artwork in them just so beautiful. Uh, and so, you know, so yeah, I guess art can be, so it was all these different things that kind of inspired me, I guess, um, to, uh, yeah, I'm sure I'm missing many names, but yeah, this is, I mean, this is who's coming to mind at the moment, at least. So, yeah. No, I mean, it's, yeah, Studio Ghibli, I think, has like the warmest, I think, stories, honestly. Um, and so thoughtful yeah, as well, you know? I mean, yes. Yeah. I, I think Howl's Moving Castle yeah. is my favorite. Spirited Away is a great one, but I think Howl's Moving Castle is my all time yeah, favorite. favorite. I can't, I can't yeah. choose, I think. It's so hard. I, I, yeah, actually, he's. I think they've recently come out with a new one, which I haven't seen yet. I think it's oh. called The Boy and His Heron or something. It's just come out in like July of this year. Ah. So, yeah. Oh. But hopefully it will release in theaters in India. I don't know. I, I would love to see a Ghibli movie in the theater. I don't think that's ever happened. So Yeah, no. I mean, everything's on Netflix yeah. at the moment. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but no... Um, no, but it's really cool uh, to hear that. But also then having said that, even then with writing, uh, would you say there are books or writers uh, who inspire you and who, who you really, uh, whose work you really enjoy? And like? yeah. um, yes, I mean, I've always really enjoyed children's books for some reason. I guess the simplicity, okay. but the way they, they're written. So like Roald Dahl, uh, I read a lot as a kid. I also read a lot of Enid Blyton as a kid, though now when I say about Enid Blyton, I get yeah, I know <laughs> lots of problems there. But you know, as a child, I used to really like, especially the boarding school stories like Mallory does and St. Clair's, and then um, I used to really like Anne of Green Gables. Uh, oh uh, yeah, it's a good um, and so as a kid, uh, and then again, uh, I was also a big Harry Potter fan, but again, problems there now. Take it out. Like this is. <laughs> like uh, maybe I should just not know about the actual authors at all but um, recently um, yeah I've enjoyed uh, uh, Anne Patchett's work uh, so the Dutch ah, house. Okay. house yeah okay. I really like that um, Elena Ferrante's uh, series My Brilliant Friend and the uh, three ah. books after that that was a very intense I read all of them in one week and um, it was it's like a very because the book is talking about essentially quite a toxic friendship and relationship, <laughs> and so it I remember it really like it tugged at at some heartstrings I think. And then um, Elmet by Fiona Mosley I think that's another book I recently enjoyed. And then I've also really been enjoying translated books a lot uh, recently. Okay, yeah. So, there's one called uh, Cobalt Blue by Sachin. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I really like yeah, that. Yeah. The trap. It's been made into a film. Oh, has it? Oh, yeah, yeah. I yeah, saw yeah. the trailer and then I was yeah. worried about whether or not I should 
watch it. <laughs> um, and then the Traveling Cat Chronicles by Hiro Arika. Oh yes, yeah. I've heard of this book. I've not read it. It's on my reading yes, too. Yeah, uh, I think to read you list, should yeah. read it because I know you like cats as well. So <laughs> definitely, uh, it is. Yeah. It's a very touching uh, journey of a cat and the owner of the cat and um balzac and the little chinese seamstress that's another one i recently Ooh. read which was um a very interesting uh book about china and like yeah it was a very nice it's not a very long book but yeah nice very nice and then um i've also really been enjoying ambedkar's writing recently but mm-hmm. of course that's more for my thesis yeah, yeah. like i'm reading other authors who write about caste and the animal like you mentioned yashaswini chandra and you know there are many others so yeah uh, those are some of the books <laughs> and writers recently yeah no i i really like some of the recommendations you gave and i think i'm i'm definitely going to look some of those up and read them for sure when you mentioned uh, persopolis i was actually thinking of marian satrapi's other book uh, embroideries yeah, oh, which is another book bro- yeah that's really it's, nice one. it's yeah i read that i think a couple of months ago I mean, and i really enjoyed yeah, it that's really good i mean sh- she really has something else in terms of her storytelling and yeah drawing skills i guess um, yeah and it's like very strong uh, i think statements she makes yes. with her writing yeah, uh, very, very and her work yeah yeah very much yeah no uh, but yeah a book i think you might like because when you're talking about the kind kinds of things you were reading and i was just like oh like i don't know you might i don't know if you've read this it's called whereabouts by jumpa lairi i've heard a lot about it and a lot of yeah. people have recommended it to me and i haven't yeah. got around it's the first book she wrote in italian so yeah that that was i i read that very recently right. uh, i i thought i thought that's I, a nice book i will um yeah i also have to read um uh what is the name of the book hamnet i think Oh yes even I've been looking to read Hamnet uh, in fact uh, my guest one of my guests from the last season Shumanto Chattopadhyay he recommended that book on the episode yeah he was like you must read he was like Hamnet it's about uh, Shakespeare Shakespeare's yeah. wife uh, and she's Anna also Adria, written another so. book um called the marriage portrait which my mom is reading now yes is really enjoying. yeah in fact she was like oh thank god you're going to record this now i have time to read as the wife <laughs> interrupt her time all the time but anyway. <laughs> hey reading reading is important so read your books kids it's uh, it's a great uh, hobby it to is, have but yeah i think you know before getting towards the end of the interview uh, one thing i did want to ask is so i mean obviously you know you are in the space of art uh, as a career having said that uh, what are the misconceptions you faced about the field you've in uh, not just about you but maybe just generally like absurd comments or observations or just assumptions you've heard from people about people who work in art um i think the most common one is my child could have done that which is the famous one but it really happens like really people i've heard people look at art or seen me like explain about art and say but what's so great about that i mean my child could have done that kind of thing um so that's the most common one um i think um a lot of people think it's very easy um and like that art is a very simple thing to understand and write about and like oh, and like what's the point of it really you know and i i think people are very taken aback that someone would choose to do a career in this field because like they don't see value in it 
um and that's quite sad but that is that is just the way most people like it's more they are looking for more conventional uh, career paths which i mean in terms of uh yeah i guess in terms of money that's nicer but you know sometimes i mean it's not that there are art jobs which pay really well as well just you have to just look in the in the right places and um yeah i think mostly it's just that people are disbelieving that you know something that is so simple can have uh so much value uh especially like art that's sold for billions people i've i've heard people ask like why is this sold and there are so many reasons i mean it's not only the art itself it's about like oftentimes it's about who owned it earlier where it's coming from who's buying it and you know it's a whole uh like that the the competition between buyers as well can drive up price so yeah i think those are actually i think um <coughs> varsha and i have a an instagram reel on um something like what are the funniest things we've heard people tell us about art or something yeah okay wow <laughs> and then you know okay having said that what are i think what is the reality check you'd like to give people who want to get into art because i know on publishing people have this they're like oh like i want to be a writer i'll send my manuscript and i'll get published in like like two months and i'm like guys that's not how it works yeah, i know publishing is a whole other thing isn't it um the reality check is that it's a growing field and it can be very difficult to find your voice and find your space and you have to be willing to put yourself out there and um speak to people and speak to artists and speak to gallerists or who, whomever and understand that it's not i i mean i don't think uh you'll ever if you're looking for a job that will make you a billionaire this is not necessarily the job for you <laughs> um but it is a job that gives you a lot of happiness and satisfaction obviously there are problems as well but it's really um a nice way to communicate with people and understand if you're like into uh social issues and people and like uh understanding psychology and um literature i think art is a great way to go and also i think um yeah art and science uh increasingly i'm seeing a lot of um there's that that there's a lot of meeting around there uh i you know i have a friend who's a wildlife biologist and uh she and i were talking about a collaboration again like how can we bring these two like she studies animal behavior and i study animal representations in art and is there a way to kind of bring those two together from a science and art perspective which i think is very important that these like binaries don't exist and that we can all work together and yeah i don't know if that answers your question but <laughs> no i i think more or less it does i think it's basically just like keep uh, your head on your shoulders and do what you need to do uh, like work hard and like i think be smart about what yeah, you're doing definitely. also essentially Yeah. But yeah, on that note we are now coming towards the end of this interview and we always end with these last two questions. Uh so the first one is what are your aspirations? What is something you're looking forward to in the near or distant future? Um the thing I'm looking forward to currently is my 
uh, my thesis defense, which November. I mean, I'm not looking forward to it. It intimidates me, but I'm looking forward to you know having an end to this thesis. And it was really um, a very emotional experience writing this whole document and uh, submitting it just about a month ago now. And so, yeah, I think my aspirations are trying to find a job uh, or research post in this field of art history, which kind of speaks to my interests of art and animals and uh, ecology and um, uh, social issues like caste as well, and uh, trying to find a space where I can talk about these things, um, which, you know, um, and a way, a, a way to continue convincing people that art is a tool and uh, for learning and pedagogy and it is a, a very um, fluid uh, space in which many different possibilities exist. And finally, what is one thing um, you would like to tell people or you would like for people to know? It can be a piece of advice or just something you've learned in life. It can be personal, professional, creative, anything. Um, one, I'll just repeat that art is a fluid space and uh, it has a lot of possibilities. So do art. Uh, don't be scared about whether it's like writing about art or practicing art yourself. Just do it. I mean, it doesn't have to be perfect. There is no right way. It's a very enjoying and satisfying experience to paint something or draw something. So just start doing it, I guess, at some at some point. And um, yeah, I mean, that's something personally, I've, I've stopped uh, practicing art so much and I really miss it. So I think that's something that I advise people to do and I should take that advice myself, I guess. And um, the other thing is, um, I, I, I'm, I'm not the most, like, I've always found it hard to go up to people and talk to them and, and ask them like about their art or career or whatever. But it is the way I forced myself to do it. And it is the way that I have grown individually and had conversations and learned a lot about the world. And so I recommend that you should try and um, overcome that fear and go out there and ask questions. Always ask questions. That's that's essentially what I'm saying. Like, just always question everything. There is no wrong question. Um, yeah. Oh. Thank you so much. And on that lovely note, we have come to the end of this interview. Thank you so much for being here, Anisha Palat. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. <laughs> After 10,000 times, I have now uh, mastered saying that name. But anyway, but no, really, thank you so much for taking the time and being here. I think it was a really insightful conversation. Uh, I think just understanding the world of art more, uh, what you're doing also with your role uh, and what you're hoping to achieve and more power to you and yeah hopefully we'll have a conversation again sometime in the future who knows but yeah thank you so much for being here thanks for having me so that was my conversation with anisha palat i really enjoyed recording this episode and learned a lot about the art world closing this episode with an article written and narrated by anisha I hope you enjoyed the show and I'll see you next week with a new guest and a new chronicle to share. Talk soon. Uh, so I'm going to read out an article that I wrote for Outlook magazine's uh, special Independence Day special issue. 
and so it just came out in august 2023 and it kind of uh, it's drawn from my phd research and i think it speaks to everything that i spoke about in the podcast in terms of it straddles the line between drawing from academic writing and journalistic writing and kind of i try and achieve a balance of both so i'll read uh, uh, so it's called a canvas of exchanges in the early hours of 6 Jan- January 2021, long before Donald Trump's supporters stormed the Capitol, and when the world was still reeling for- from the horrors of the COVID-19 pandemic, a strange silence washed over me as I stared at my laptop sc- screens, transfixed by-, transfixed by the work of artist Kirtika Ken. Here was a visceral image of vast blackness with hints of gold and red glinting from beneath its powerful surface. Swirls of a tar-like substance glowed on my screen, held together by what seemed to resemble clay and cracked soil. The work emanated a certain resilience for reasons unknown to me at the time. It also spoke volumes for its aesthetic potency and careful use of colour and material. I wondered about the title of the work, Jin Amutsa, recalling a book with the same title. Eager to know more, I emailed Kirtika, mentioning that I was pursuing a doctorate in art history and would like to discuss this work in more detail for inclusion in my thesis. Not only did she very kindly reply to my initial request for more information, but she also generously offered me glimpses into her life as an artist from the Dalit diaspora. I mentioned my interaction with Kirtika to highlight the value and insight conversations with artists bring to art criticism and art writing. Through multiple exchanges, I learned, for instance, that Jin Amutsa was inspired by the seminal book with the same title, The Prisons We Broke in English Translation, by Bebitai Kamble, that speaks of the Mahars in the early 20th century. I discovered that Kirtika had created this piece over the early phase of the 2020 worldwide lockdown in her Sydney home, occasionally even in collaboration with her mother, who helped form a huge part of Kirtika's understanding of her Dalit identity. I understood Kirtika's careful curation of materials, beeswax, tar, charcoal, cow dung, religious thread and gold leaf to name a few, to be a redefining of these largely religiously charged materials on her own terms in the safe space that was her studio. I started to appreciate Kirtika's narrative on the canvas as a visual rendition of a personal and collective inheritance, an untold story that was becoming a living archive. Most importantly, I realized that while her artwork partly spoke of a story of historical suffering, it also had elements of joy and power and was a celebration of her own Dalit identity and culture, a culture that Kirtika suggests can exist outside of protest. My collaboration with Kirtika highlights the pedagogical role that art can play in society today. I use the word collaboration here to insist on there being an alliance between the artist and the person writing about the artwork. A collaboration suggests an ongoing dialogue, and this remains a crucial part of writing about art, especially when writing about the work of living artists. A collaborative space also allows for opinions to form and grow. The pedagogy that I cited is in relation to this collaboration. When viewing pieces like Jin Amutsa, viewers are often left wondering about the implications of the artwork. But what does this mean is a common chorus that echoes in spaces where art is displayed. Indeed, what does a work like Jin Amutsa connote? 
In my first viewing of it on my laptop in early 2021, was it simply the aesthetic power of the work that captured my attention? Or did I imagine there was more to the story and that a work of art must have a narrative in order for us to appreciate its aesthetic prowess even further? Circumstances point to the latter, for I immediately reached out to Kirtika, insisting on acquiring more context, not satisfied with just looking at the art and accepting it in its swirl of blackness. Kirtika's subsequent narrative and my interpretation of it as viewed in her art underlies our collaboration and illuminates a learning on my part as art historian. This learning is crucial in the context of artists like Kirtika who talk about caste in their art. It becomes foundational in understanding the genealogies of caste narratives and in highlighting my own protected ignorance, as Wyas Alone terms it. This is not to say that it becomes the artist's role to educate the larger public about histories of oppression. Rather, I am trying to highlight the power of the visual and the flexibility in its interpretation as being instrumental in changing attitudes, forming opinions, and presenting caste as a heterogeneous expression of personal and collective histories and ongoing circumstances. My own learning from speaking with artists like Kirtika, Sajin Mani, who shared thoughts on performativity, animality and caste, Prabhakar Kamble, who showed how a horrific incident like the flogging of Dalits and Una could be reflected in performance art, G. Chandru and Savi Savarkar, older artists who spoke about caste in the mainstream art world long before caste was openly addressed, Rajashri Goody, who shared the delights of eating and Dalit food recipes, Siddesh Gautam, who curated the digital space to revolutionize art expressions in relation to caste, Jaising Nageshwaran, who captured honest photographs of varying narratives, and reading scholars such as Y.S. Alone, Anjali Arundekar, Gary Tartikov, Deepta Achar, Santosh Sadanandan, and Brahma Prakash Singh has been invaluable. The artists have generously shared their narratives with me, emphasizing my earlier reference to collaboration. The artists I mention here are just a small fraction of the large number who broach caste in their work. I only refer to these artists since I have had direct communication with them. Also in turn, the scholars' writings have shaped my own thoughts on categories like Dalit art, caste life narratives, performativity and theatre, and the idea of maza or joy in expressions of caste. My aim here is to offer reflections of my own interactions with artists and scholars, emphasize the pedagogical and collaborative role that I found to be inspiring in my learning about art, art practice and artists' lives, and the context in which these are placed. Aesthetic choices remain pertinent to the art that is finally produced. Deepta Achar calls the aesthetic in relation to the category of Dalit art a site of political challenge. Art then seems to be placed in a paradox, where it holds a unique position of highlighting centuries of oppression while also wanting to be appreciated just in terms of its beauty and aesthetics. Does the art exist only to draw attention to the social and the political, or can it exist outside of protest, be removed from the socio-political context, and be treasured for its powerful use of materiality, like in Jin Amutsa? The visual power of art is colossal. Art's magic memorializes stories, aesthetics, and individuals. It leaves me asking questions in a way that non-visual learning renders impossible. In places like India, where Dalits face discrimination in dehumanizing ways on a daily basis, romantic notions of art as a site of resistance perhaps seem misplaced. 
but a push towards dialogue and art history where value is given to being in conversation with living artists is crucial in contemporary society the role art plays in society as a tool of survival understanding and pedagogy must be acknowledged i have learned through art and it is in this learning that i have seen power joy history and beauty unfold as visual vocabulary for time immemorial